Welcome to Screencast, Screen's podcast series where our lawyers and other industry or thought leaders share their views and insights on various legal issues and developments in Malaysia. Hello everyone, welcome to the Screencast. I am Sarah, a partner in Screen's employment team and joining me today is Selva Malar, our partner who also hits the employment team. Hello Selva, how are you today? Hi Sarah, great and great to be here too. Okay, so in this podcast, we are going to tackle an employment management topic which we have received many queries on. So without further ado, this is Performance Management 101, Steps, Strategies and Tips for Success. Okay, let's get started. To begin with, let's let's come back to basics. As employers, we have faced poor performance sometime or other. Now, poor performers are employees who do not or cannot perform up to expectations or standards or somehow do not exhibit the skill set that an employer is looking for. As an employer, I think it's always tempting to wield the axe and say, uh, look, sorry, this is not working out for me. I don't think you're the right fit. Put a quick end to the problem, just get on. And many employers do this. What do you think of taking such a hardline approach, Selva? Huh, sounds really tempting, doesn't it? And it suggests that the employer or the manager is running a tight ship. Very efficient, very productive. But, and this is a big but, that is not necessarily the case. So first, in law, businesses cannot hire and fire at will. So as tempting as it may be to play the part of Donald Trump in The Apprentice, it can prove to be an expensive exercise if the terminated employee commences an unjust dismissal action. Secondly, and perhaps more importantly, from a practical perspective, hiring and then firing when things do not go as expected is an inefficient way to manage operations. I mean, think about it. Recruitment and onboarding themselves are expensive and time-consuming affairs. So really the best thing to do when you hire someone is to ensure that you equip and allow the employee who has been hired to do his job well. So, you know, I think it goes without saying that it involves a certain amount of guidance, training, mentoring, and that's precisely what our laws provide for. So the paramount principle in law is that Whilst the employer can determine the standard of performance that he expects from the employee and also be the judge of whether that standard has been met, the employer must be able to show that he had properly communicated that expectation to the employee and also that when the employee fell short of what was expected, the employee was alerted to it. It is only when poor performance persists after that, you know, after such communication or despite such communication, will termination be justified. So in a nutshell, the philosophy behind performance management and the process is to assist the employee to succeed, not a tool to be utilized to achieve a sacking. 
you, you know, the way I see it, performance management in the larger scheme of things is actually an ongoing process. Uh, that's why you have performance evaluations at least yearly. And there are some companies who even have mini reviews, uh, which they undertake periodically just to make sure that the employee is right on track, you know, targets are being met. So actually, performance management is not something that you just pull up once there's a complaint with standards of work right there and then. It's not like a sudden event. And that's why I think performance management, you know, holistically, it, it begins on day one of employment. It starts with the employer making it clear to the employee what is expected of him in their job. It starts as simply as issuing a job description. That way, the employee knows what's expected of him or her. They cannot turn around and say, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. You didn't tell me that. That's not my job description. And it becomes clearer to the employer and employee what is expected of one another, you know. Performance issues definitely can stem from a lack of clarity over what is expected. Absolutely. And uh, and it's a continuous process, right? Every time an employee slips up or falls short, they should actually be told and set back on the right track. If not, the employee may be happily oblivious and they believe they're doing all right. And this is where most managers mess it up, I think. Uh, because in the interest of maintaining a cordial working relationship, and actually I find the context of Asian working relationships where these comments are perceived to be confrontational, awkward. Um, just not nice. Yeah, just not nice. Not something that you want to bring up in a working relationship. It all comes down to failing to adequately let the employee know he's not performing up to par. And I've also seen instances, I'm sure you have too, where managers don't actually give honest reviews in their poor performance during performance evaluations. So some of these employees who are, you know, actually poor performers, they may not be given full marks. And they may be actually marked as like so-so, doing alright, average, when really what the manager thinks is that their performance needs some real bucking up. Again, it creates an impression to the employee that they're doing all right. So sometimes when you begin the process suddenly, the employees, you know, they're caught off guard. They're thinking, my evaluations were fine. What, what happened, you know? Yeah, I agree, Sarah. I sometimes call this the Asian syndrome. And I think that it stems from the fact that many managers don't really understand the purpose of performance evaluation. They think of it as a tool to determine increments and bonuses, and then they're motivated by the desire to be nice to the person, when in fact it is a tool to assess how the person is doing on the job. Yeah, and, and the other thing also is that, you know, managers always think that if I need to tell an employee that he's not doing so well, I need to issue a warning letter. And then it creates an awkward, hostile environment at work, which doesn't serve anybody. And, you know, it does not always have to be the case that these reminders on performance must be in writing or by way of a warning letter. Okay, I mean, as lawyers, I would be happy with that kind of documentary evidence. But in practical terms, taking such a rigid approach could actually have the opposite effect of unduly pressuring an employee and actually making the situation worse. So where the performance issue has not escalated or where the deficiencies can actually be easily remedied, I think a verbal comment would suffice. And this may be all that's needed to get the employee performing up to expectation, really setting them back on the right track. 
But where it is clear that these verbal comments don't, you know, don't seem to be doing anything at all, then I agree, yeah, some records should be kept. And again, we don't have to bring out the warning letters yet. We don't have to bring out the guns yet. But, you know, maybe a short email or a memo saying, hey, I spoke about this with you earlier. I hope to see more positive changes on that part. That could be enough as well. And if you refer to a past conversation, I spoke about this with you three times already. You know, I, I really hope to see you improve you know, that might be the push and that might be the performance management that a manager really needs uh, just all to do. A very constructive approach, so to speak. Yeah. And and really, uh, only once the performance continues to, to be a real issue where it's affecting productivity, affecting the morale of work, or, you know, they're just not performing to the level uh, that you would ordinarily expect in a major way, then I agree, a structured approach may be taken here. Now is when we bring out those warning letters. Uh, and those warning letters should clearly, concisely say that their standard of performance is currently deficient and lay down the consequences if the employee fails to improve. Um, and this is a pivotal time. This is a pivotal time in any performance management plan because really how you manage this will make or break the unjust dismissal case. When you begin to undertake a structured and formal performance management, you have to also realise that it comes with time, guidance and support to the employee and really um, cheering the employee on to performing to that level, you know, not just kind of going through the motions and say, this is what I have to do in order to be able to dismiss you from employment. So I would, I would say, you know, the best way to do this actually is by kicking off a performance improvement plan. Um, although a performance improvement plan per se, itself, it's not a requirement of law, but it really helps with laying down clear tasks and parameters that you want the employee to improve on. And it also helps with setting a time frame, you know, a deadline as to when you expect these performance indicators to be achieved. You know, this is basically what the main line of cases dealing with poor performance provide. So while we are looking at what seems to be a purely procedural process, tell the employee it's not up to mark, show him how to get up to mark, give him time to do it. If all that fails, that's only when you should be terminating the employment relationship on the grounds of poor performance. If you have executed this fair process, chances are the industrial court will agree with you that dismissal was with just cause or excuse. But this is where I have to really stress that in as much as it may seem to be process-driven, it doesn't mean that as long as steps one, two, three are complied with, you can just dismiss and that the dismissal will be found to be with just cause or excuse. The substance of the matter must be proven. And that, as Sarah, you have just said, is that we have to be able to show in court that the employee was told what to do, how to do it, what was wrong with what he was doing, how to improve and finally, that every reasonable opportunity has been given before the employee is shown the door. Now, you mentioned PIP earlier, Performance Improvement Plan. Having a PIP is, of course, a very good idea, as you say. But again, it is no guarantee that you'll win hands down in court. Sometimes it's not even a surprise to discover that it is the weakest link in the employer's case. We have seen our fair share of PIP documents that just seems to be a jumble of a lot of words put together with no clear outline of expectations and how they are to be achieved. And also a PIP that is unduly long and convoluted sometimes only creates pitfalls and loopholes. 
And also, I think sometimes with a PIP, I think what we take for granted is the measurement. How do we tell the employee that you are performing up to mark or not up to mark? Is 65% up to mark? Is 50% up to mark? And this becomes worse when actually what is being measured is something that is subjective. We're not talking about targets or we're not talking about ritualistic tasks. We're talking about maybe leadership skills, people management skills. You know, all this can create pitfalls, right? Because there are loopholes as to the clarity of the goals to be achieved. Yes. And, you know, needless to say, right, when the case actually goes to court, the industrial court looks at the full picture. It reads between the lines and is rarely fooled. The crux of the matter is always whether the employee was given a fair opportunity. And we must be careful that the employer doesn't look like they've just gone through the motions with the aim of getting rid of the employee. Uh, Another thing I'd just like to highlight here is that often it is helpful if we have on record written complaints uh, that we have received from third parties or better yet, a target that has been set out very clearly but not met. But even here, I must say again that it is not enough to prove the case. The employee may allege that the cause of the complaint was not his fault, that is actually the company's fault because of the systems that the company put in place or that the target was unreasonable. So for example, a customer or a client may complain that after-sales service was delayed. But it may be simply because that's how the company's system is. You know, they may have a system where you go onto their website and you log your complaint. And then at the end of the day, somebody checks that particular site, compiles the complaint, sends it to another department. And then that department then sends out messages to the customer saying, thank you for contacting us. Please respond with the following details. And, you know, by the time you do all this ding-donging, three days have passed. And yes, I am speaking as a very frustrated customer at the moment. (laughs) I'm just trying to get my water heater repaired and it's taking that long. And the other thing about targets is I remember a case where the employer was really desperate to get rid of the employees. So they they came up with this brilliant, or, you know, at least it seemed brilliant to them, idea to increase his sales targets threefold for the second half of the year, knowing full well that he wouldn't be able to meet the target, or for that matter, neither will any other employee. So I can tell you how that case went in court, right? Um, Well, except that it didn't. We we convinced the company to settle it because it was quite bad. But so these are things that the courts will look into. Is the target reasonable? You can't just up it overnight. Yeah, I, I guess what I'm hearing from you also is that although it looks like a purely procedural process, there will be tests to determine whether there was mala fide intention or whether the employer really had acted fairly in all circumstances of the matter. And it comes down to the fact that there is no uh, easy way out. You know, a PIP is undoubtedly a difficult, a long drawn out process. It's an intentional process. It is a process you embark on to actually seek improvement and not just as a just to tick the 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 box, you know, you have done it and therefore I can uh, legitimately 
um, fire an employee. And I think that's one of the reasons why I find employers don't like to do a PIP. It takes so much time. It takes so much effort. And some employers may find that even after according them with the training and the guidance and the time and the opportunities, the employees revert back to poor performance the moment the PIP is completed. And employers will be devastated to know that the next time they want to bring up the issue of poor performance again, they find themselves having to start the process again. You know, we often get questions from clients, how long do I have to put up with it? How long should I have a PIP for? As you know, Selva, there's, there's no mandatory period under law. And also when the PIP is only for a short duration of time, chances are that the employee may temporarily buck up, show good progress for that short period. But when the PIP is over a significant period of time, it may be a better gauge of whether improvement is seen in the long run because when the process is long drawn out, the employee may lose the motivation to go on and revert to their old ways. That's how you know improvement was just temporary and there's not going to be any long-lasting impact. Really, it's a delicate balance because while you want the PIP to yield true results, you don't want to get stuck in it. You want to move on. You know, the business needs to go on. Ultimately, the duration of the PIP is the employer's prerogative. So long as the tasks which the employee is required to complete can be reasonably complete during that duration of the PIP and the employer is able to fully gauge the standards of performance during that time. No, you're right, Sarah. I think the question that every client asks us when we say, oh, you have to manage the performance issue is, oh, how long do I have to do it for? And there is no right or wrong answer to that. It really depends on the scenario. And of course, the nature of the job, in addition to everything you have said, right, the nature of the job should be considered because for some job roles, you can see the performance change or improve on a day-to-day -day basis. For example, a data entry clerk, Right, Because all you want the person to do is to do a particular volume of work and to do it uh, without mistakes. So you can even assess on a weekly basis and one month may be more than enough. But if it's a sales director, then even three months may not be enough depending on what product he's selling, what region he covers, how big his team is. Whether there's an economic downturn. Exactly. And most importantly, how long have things been allowed to slide? I think this is another big problem we find that people often wait too long uh, to kick off a performance management process and then say, oh, I cannot afford to wait any longer. That's right. That's why we were saying at the start, you know, performance management, it's a continuous ongoing process, starts at day one. You can't just hop into it expecting results to be delivered in three months. Yeah. So in parting, I would just recap that while the employer has the prerogative to set standards, and the right to judge whether these standards have been met, there is an overriding need to play fair. That really should be the guiding principle. And it's really quite simple. You know, I often say to clients uh, when they are seeking to dismiss someone for poor performance, to ask themselves if they would consider the process that they have undertaken or they are planning to do uh, to be fair if it was themselves who was the employee or better yet if it was their friend their child or sibling you know that way you won't get it wrong great insights Elva so I think with that we draw to a close if you would like to know more about Screen's podcast series or hear more about employment issues from us please hop over to our website LinkedIn profile and leave a comment or send us an email thanks for joining us today and have a good day everybody bye thanks Sarah thank you for tuning in to Screencast the views and explanations expressed here are for purposes of information only and may not apply to all circumstances. 
or may no longer be accurate due to subsequent developments. You are encouraged to consult a qualified lawyer for any specific legal queries or issues faced.